posture class. That's where we'll be going on this week's Next Step, episode number 742, August 25th, 2022. Hi, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries welcoming you to a 15th season of the Next Step podcast with Father Vazgan. With these podcasts, Father Vazgan provides a very distinct and consistent voice for Armenian orthodoxy. It is the means for providing people an intelligent and practical answer to life's difficulties based on the solid principles of love, faith, and hope as expressed by our Lord, Jesus Christ. We produce these shows every week for a vast audience, which includes those who are searching for practical and deeper applications of faith, the disenfranchised members of the church community, and, of course, the neophyte. So we invite you to sit back, turn up the volume, and get ready to take the next step. Have you been complaining about budget cuts at school? Are they cutting out some of your favorite programs? How about the sports program? No, how about the fine arts, music classes, drawing? Oh, are they getting are they getting into the science lab? <laughs> into the computer lab? Have they cut those out from your local school? I'll tell you a class. I'll tell you a class that existed and I guarantee doesn't exist anywhere. It's a class that I vaguely remember. I just remember the name of it. It was called posture class. <laughs> Does that ring any bells? Do you remember anything like that? Posture class? No, 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 no. Don't confuse it with posture school. It was posture class. Yes, my wife ribs me about it that, yes, you went to posture school. No, I didn't go to posture school. I There was a class in elementary school, and my elementary was a fine one. It was called Lockwood Avenue Mel- Elementary in the heart of uh, Hollywood. Yeah, right on the, what today is known as New, uh, what is it, Little Armenia. Yeah, it was in the heart of Hollywood. It was called Lockwood Avenue Elementary. And in that elementary school, there was a class called Posture Class. I don't remember what it was about. I don't know what we even did in it. Vaguely, I remember saying something. I remember hearing somebody say something about they ate fruit in Posture Class. And honestly, I have no idea what that means. I don't know what was took place in it. But all I know is that I went to posture class. I don't know if it was once a week, twice a week, or whatever. I don't know if it was the whole school. I don't know if they singled me out and put me in there. But I did go to a posture class. Okay? (laughs) And the way I, I found out about it was, you know, as I was going with my mom, when she passed away a few years ago, we were going through some of the stuff that she had saved, as any good mom does, saves little things that your child uh, does and she found this, um, this this paper that I had written about you know going to posture class. She had saved it and yes 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 and I get the ribbing. My wife ribs me about it. Yes, you went to posture school and again I'll tell you no I didn't. I went to posture class. What they did there I don't know. But now what does this have to do with anything on the next step? I'll tell you what it does. Last Sunday, I was celebrating the Divine Liturgy at the St. Godabed Church in Rancho Mirage. Beautiful church. And it was, it's out in the desert. It gets hot. I would say maybe about 25 to 30 people were in church 
on during the during the divine liturgy. Now, in the Armenian Church, if you're unfamiliar with the setup of the Armenian Church, there is a stage area upon which the altar rests. There's a huge altar table on that stage area, and it's from there that the divine liturgy is celebrated, and the priest has his back towards the congregation. So he faces the altar table, and this is very similar to what the Roman Catholics had before Vatican II. In Vatican II, they turned around the altar area, which, yes, was originally turned around, which at time of Jesus, of course, was the table itself where he sat with the with the with the disciples at the Last Supper, obviously facing them, not with his back to them. But today, today in the Armenian tradition, the divine liturgy is celebrated in the in the old school, so to speak, not old as Jesus, but in the old school with the um, with with the priest back towards the people. And so during the liturgy, several times the priest turns around towards the congregation and blesses them, saying, "Peace unto all. May the peace of God be with you." And he blesses the people. And so it's very natural from the altar area, as he's blessing, to see the congregation, to see them sitting. They're sitting in, in, the, in the pews. And um, obviously, if you're blessing them, you want to make eye contact with them. You at least want to acknowledge their presence, right? And uh, <laughs> ideally, yes, it would be nice if you were in some kind of blissful state, if you were in nirvana as you were doing this service. But it's not like that. You're actually celebrating the service for the people and you should be in contact with the people. So you're turning to the people and saying, peace unto all. And so last Sunday, as as I did this, as I turned around towards the people, something unusual I noticed. I'm facing the people, and their posture was horrible. No, 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 no. Just because I went to posture class doesn't mean an expert on posture. <laughs> Again, my wife, she ribs me about that, right? Okay, you went to posture school, so now you know. Tell us, does this person, do you have good posture? Am I standing correctly? Come on, you're the resident guru on posture. No, I'm not. <laughs> I went to a class some 50, 60 years ago, whenever it was, and I vaguely remember, but there was something called posture class. But in this case, sitting in my congregation last week, were people with horrible posture. What do I mean by this? They were slumped. Yeah, the mystery of the slump. Do you know what the slump is? It's like where you're sitting in a pew and you've kind of like slid off of it. So your bottom has gone to the edge of the pew and your head has slipped towards the back of the pew. So, and and your, your neck is sort of on the back of the pew and you're facing up. You're like kind of like oblivious to what's going on. So your feet are out straight and you're just kind of like with your head in the air, you're not really paying attention to what's going on. And you're slumped in in sort of like if you were to look at your body from the from the side, it would be a big L shape with the top of the L, your head sort of resting on the top of the pew. And this wasn't one person, this wasn't two people, it was just about everybody in the congregation was slumped. Like I said, the mystery of the slump. And not just one time, two times, but as I was turning towards the people, people were just slumped. They were, they were just <laughs> there, you know. 
Okay. So what was going on? As I'm looking at them, I'm realizing these people are completely, totally disconnected. And I thought to myself, you know, I went to posture class. And so I can identify bad posture. Okay, do you want to do you want to give me that? Um, like if I were to write my resume, I could say one of my skills is that I could identify bad posture. And bad posture is about coming into a church where you're supposed to be attentive and acknowledging what's going on. And instead you have slumped over and kind of like oblivious to what's going on. That is bad posture. I mean, it, it's very apparent. Now, here's here's the tricky part. You don't need to go to posture class to be able to tell people have bad posture, right? I mean, people are just slumped over. You know that this is not the proper posture for people who are supposed to be engaged in a celebration, a celebration of the divine liturgy. We call the liturgy, the holy badarach, a celebration. You're supposed to be celebrating. And so there we were, and I'm in a church that's uh, I'm not the pastor of, so these are people that I don't know very well. I'm visiting there, and I'm realizing that the altar crew, deacons, the choir is just going along, singing beautifully, beautifully, back and forth, and the priest, me, chiming in when my partner is coming, but we are disconnected with from the people. Or whatever way we want to say. You want to say the people are disconnected from us? I want to say it. We are disconnected from the people. Because as the leadership, it's up to you to make sure people are following, right? I mean, imagine you're leading something. You're leading a race. You're leading a walk. You're leading a journey. Okay, you start leading. That's that's your job as the leader. You start walking. Do you have an obligation to the people that you're leading? To at the very least, at the very least, to turn back and see if they're following you? Question. I mean, I'm asking you a question. Wouldn't you expect that that's the, the job of a good leader? Is to be able to lead the people by charting the course. We're heading forward. We're moving forward. And now... We've taken a few steps, maybe a couple hundred steps, maybe a, a mile. It's at the very least I should look around and see where the people are. Are they right behind me? Are they a mile behind me? Are they just sitting there? Are they looking around? What are they doing? A good leader will keep in contact with the people he is leading, right? And you look back and you say, oh, there they are. And based on where they are, you would gauge where you're supposed to be. If they're maybe, let's say, 20 feet behind you, you can slow down your pace. If they're right on your back, you can speed the pace, right? If they're way, way, way back, then you have at the very least an obligation to turn around, run back there and say, hey, what's going on? Are you guys okay? Did you get a snake bite? Did somebody run over you? What happened, right? Wouldn't you expect that from a leader? But we don't have that. We don't have that. And this is really one of the um, one of the downfalls of some of our liturgically based churches. In that we do beautiful litur- liturgies. 
sometimes fantastic, operetta style, beautiful, beautiful. Things that I want to tell you personally when I've been at some of these liturgies, I have transcended to other worlds. It's just so beautiful. And sometimes we've been so consumed with that group of people that are doing the liturgy work, singing, playing, orchestrating it, that we haven't looked back and seen where are the people. Are the people with us? Are they attentive? Are they understanding what's going on? Or are they just slumped in their seats, waiting for the service to finish, waiting for a cue for them to be dismissed and just sort of like finished with it. And and I want to tell you that, you know, sadly, sadly, I find the latter to be the case. I find a lot of times we're just so oblivious to the people that they have become oblivious to this beautiful service that we are doing, to the meaning of the liturgy that we are doing. And what is the meaning of that liturgy? Well, it's to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ, to offer the body and blood of Jesus Christ, to remember the Last Supper and the opportunity for us today to participate in that Last Supper. And so it's not an opera. It's not some singing contest. It's making sure that everybody in the church is following the leader. Is and, and if you look at the church in the, in the true sense, you know, the, the body, the part of the church where people are sitting in the congregation, it's called the nave, or in Armenian, the nav, literally means the boat. And so if you can use that metaphor, the priest is up at the front, at the helm, so to speak, and he's steering the boat. Everybody's on board and he's steering the boat, like the rudder, and he's making sure that the sails are up and every, and we're we're moving. We're moving in this in this boat towards God. Toward that reconciliation with God, with our Maker, right? Now, as the steerer, as the one who's at the helm, doesn't he have an obligation to look back and see if there are people in the boat? Well, that's the question that we come upon. If we use that metaphor, which our church does, we use that metaphor that this is the boat, the nav, the nave. Everyone's sitting in it. Then he, the priest is up at the top, and with the deacons, they're adjusting the the sails and and, and the rudder, and we're we're moving, we're moving forward. You may say that. Well, once I'm on the boat, I really, I personally, as a passenger on that boat, have entrusted the the priest, the captain. I'm okay just sitting there. I'm okay to be slumped. I mean, what do you care whether I'm playing shuffleboard on the boat or I'm just on a deck chair or I'm in my cabin? At the end, all I care about is getting to my destination. Fair enough. Let's talk about that when we return. I gave you a lot to think about today, right? From posture to the to the boat. <laughs> Let's take our break right now with the song of the day. We do this every week. Just give us a little chance to digest what been, what's been said. And I'll be back in a couple moments, okay? Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. 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 
hallelujah. This old world's a mighty big place, hallelujah. It's got Satan all over its face, hallelujah. Jordan River is chilly and cold, hallelujah. But it warms the human soul, hallelujah. So Michael wrote for the shore, hallelujah. I could for the shore, hallelujah. I could for the shore, hallelujah. I could for the shore, hallelujah. Did you hear what old Jonah said? Hallelujah. When the world thought he was dead, hallelujah. I was taking me a ride, hallelujah. In that big old whale's inside, hallelujah. So Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. 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 They put Daniel in the lion's den, hallelujah. Then he walked right out again, hallelujah. The reason them lions permitted that, hallelujah, was that Daniel had no fat, hallelujah. So Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode that boat ashore, hallelujah. Michael rode the boat ashore, hallelujah. I could for the shore, hallelujah. They nailed Jesus to the cross, hallelujah. But his fate was never lost, hallelujah. So Christian soldiers off to war, hallelujah. Hold that line in Arkansas, hallelujah. Like Joshua at Jericho, hallelujah. Alabama's next to go, hallelujah. So Mississippi, kneel and pray, hallelujah. Some of buses on the way, hallelujah. I the road for the shore, hallelujah. I the road for the shore, hallelujah. I the road for the shore, hallelujah. I the Well, what else did you expect? Harry Belafonte doing Michael Rowe the Boat Ashore. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, of course you expected that today. And how appropriate with the hallelujahs. I just love that. I hope you enjoyed it. Harry Belafonte in a class of his own. No question about it. I will have a link on today's show notes, not only to this song, but to this beautiful uh, voice, musician, talent that has shared so much and brought so much happiness to our world. 
We are talking about the boat ride, the boat ride to, to heaven, to reconciliation, to God, to the kingdom. We're talking about a boat ride from one side of a lake to the other side, from one shore to the other shore, the boat being the metaphor for a church, the church where we're all on board. The book of canon laws, by the way, the book of canon law for the Christian church is called the rudder. Literally the rudder, right? It steers the boat. And that's what it's called, the rudder. I have a copy of it. I, You know what? We got a little time. I'll tell you a cool story, okay? I'll tell you a really cool story. This was a, a, a book that I had gotten when I was in seminary. And I was just fascinated by all the canon laws. And the rudder was made for the seven, what what the Eastern Orthodox consider the ecumenical councils. We in the Armenian Church ascribe to three ecumenical councils, and we don't to the other four. But the only way to get the first three is to buy this book called The Rudder that has all seven ecumenical councils in it. So I got that from a local um uh, a local Orthodox uh, church. And I had this as part of my library. And this is a very memorable, memorable story in my life. The venerable Archbishop Shnork Kalustian, who became the patriarch of Constantinople or Istanbul or the Armenians in Turkey, I, he was the patriarch, I'd say, I'd say in the 70s to the to the early 90s, I think he passed away in 1990 or so of an accident in Etchmiadzin. So about 20 years. Uh, and I don't know the exact dates, but I'll, I'll find it and put it on our show notes today. He was visiting me when I was the pastor at St. Andrew in Cupertino. He was visiting, not me, but he was visiting all the different churches. And he came to the St. Andrew Armenian Church and... Uh, we had a we had some time to talk. Uh, in fact, he, I got a chance to put him in my car, and we drove together, and uh, we talked about all kinds of things. And later, when we came to my office, his eye caught the rudder on my shelf, and he says, "Oh, you have this, the rudder." He says, "I would like this book. Would you give this to me?" He was a very humble man. It wasn't the kind that would just take it, you know. And of course, when the patriarch asks you, you know, and he's coming from Turkey, you know that the resources aren't there. And sure, you know, of course you're going to do it. It's the patriarch. But on the practical side, for me, it's something that I could go and find another copy. For him, it's difficult. So immediately I took it and I gave him this rudder. And uh, he was so thankful that when he got back to Istanbul, to the patriarchate, I'd say within a few weeks after he returned, I received this big package from Istanbul. He had sent me his entire 
writings, all the books that he had ever written, Archbishop Schnorr Kalustian. And this is a treasure because for me, they are part of my library right underhand. In other words, this is the part of my library that is very close to me because they have been invaluable resource in writing sermons and writing articles and learning about our church. So Archbishop Schnorr Kalustian I gave him this this book of rudder in in return I received a wealth a wealth of knowledge and these very precious books to me so uh that's my little story that's that little offshoot of where we go so the rudder um I was just mentioning that that that's the name of the book of canon laws and again to the metaphor of the boat sitting there and the rudder is what steers the boat right you you move the rudder from one side to the next and it goes it veers to the right to the left whatever they call it starboard or i don't know the exact terms but you get the idea right and i'm sure if you're a nautical engineer you'll let me know too so if you're on that boat you really have relinquished I don't want to say your rights, but you have relinquished your safe passage to the priest that is taking you there, to the captain, right? Like I said, if you get on a if you get on a cruise liner, you're on that boat. Once you get on there, you really don't have much control unless you take a gun and point put it up to the captain's head and say, you know, steer me to the right right now. You really don't have that much control. You've kind of relinquished it. And the same would be true of of an airplane, right? In Armenian, Otanov, an airship, an airboat, right? An airship. Yeah. Once you get on, you don't have much control of where it's going to go. You have trusted that pilot to take you. It's up to the pilot to really make sure that everybody is comfortable on that journey there. It's not really asking you to stay attentive but to be comfortable. And perhaps that metaphor is what really messes us up because I see so many times, so often, that the leadership takes that role that, okay, you're in that boat. You're coming along with me for the ride. Whether you like it or not, you're going to get to the end result. Whatever you do, you can slump, you could sit up, you could do anything. And I think we play a big disservice to the passengers on that boat in the church by not engaging them, by not giving them that opportunity to respond, to be responsive to what's going on. In the church, the ancient traditional manuscripts that we have of the of the liturgy, it's interesting because it is broken down into parts. There is the priest part who gives the blessings. There is the deacon portion, the deacons who assist and ask for the for the priest's blessing. But the third part is not the choir, which is traditionally thought because we have these beautiful, elaborate choirs. And especially when we've got big occasions like the bishop coming, like the Catholicos coming, we tune up those choirs, don't we, right? But actually in those ancient manuscripts, in the early manuscripts of the Divine Liturgy, doesn't say choir. It says the people. In Armenian, Tebratstas, now you'll see tas on the manuscripts, on the portion of the choir. But in the old ones, it would be Jovurt, the people. The people would recite. So there was an 
obviously there was a reaction. There was a there was a um, an interplay between priest and the people. And this was very pronounced. We had this beautiful opportunity for 15, 16 years we did this. Actually, I had, I had played around with the idea several times when I was in Cupertino. We had a little success with it in, in Pasadena, but it really came, it, it really blossomed in Glendale at the St. Peter Youth Ministry Center. And that was from the years 2003 to 2016. Uh, we had this opportunity to really make a community church based on that that idea that, yes, we are on a boat, but we need you to be alive and active. Because here's the part of the metaphor that we don't, we don't talk about. We say, get on the boat and we'll get you to your destination. What we want to say is get on the boat. But your reaction on that boat is necessary. In other words, when we want to turn right, we want everybody to lean to the right. And when we want to turn left, we need everybody on the boat to turn, to to lean to the left. Yeah, you get it? We're all working in concert to get that boat to its destination. Very big difference, right? as opposed to the metaphor of a luxury liner where you're just sitting there and you're kind of waiting for the boat to dock. In this case, your reaction is necessary. <laughs> no, don't look at me like that, thinking of the, the galleys. No, no, we're not putting you in the galleys. <laughs> that too, yes, you're right. That would be that would be the case in the galley, the ships uh, with the galleys. If you didn't steer, we wouldn't get to the destination. But in other words, we all have to take our part in getting that boat to its destination. And so now we have this beautiful idea of the boat being on there where our participation is important. And so as a priest, as a captain, it's important to look back and see, are the people engaged? Are they participating and we did this in, in Glendale. It was so beautiful. I was very fortunate. My choir leader was Professor Harar Dekmejan, just oh, an, a fascinating man in all senses. Fascinating because for him, as, as high of a position that he had in the secular world, he never let it overshadow his position within the church, which was a deacon. And for some... For years, he celebrated the Divine Liturgy every Sunday. I was fortunate that I had him for 15 years at at Glendale while we served there together. And as the choir leader, he made a point of this. It was actually on his insistence that we don't get choir robes. That was one of the weird things when you came to that church. People would say, where's the choir? And we'd say, well, you're the choir the people you're the choir and one of this was facilitated by not having choir robes people didn't have choir robes so guess what when you don't have choir robes you're not sectioning off a small group of people and saying these are the designated singers you're saying no we need everyone to sing and so what we did is we passed out books to everybody every pew had a book a pew book and we tell people okay we're going to sing this song and what he would do, Deacon Hudaid, he would go right in the center of the of the church and lead the congregation, not the choir, lead the congregation. So now think of 
this metaphor of the boat. You've got your captain up at the top steering the boat. You've got the deacons next to him who are fanning and sensing and making sure that everything is running smoothly, oiling the machinery, so to speak. And you've got the people leaning to the right, to the left, as we go through the waters of life. What a beautiful metaphor that is, right? That's what it's all about. That's what the nave is about. That's what the church is about. And it all comes down to the posture. What is our posture? And this is what came to my mind last week as I'm looking at the people. Thank God I went to posture class because I was able to see people's postures. But here's the other thing. Even if you didn't go to posture class, you would be able to tell that people were disengaged. And one of the greatest challenges that we have as leadership, as priests, people who are leading the church, is to look back and to see the posture of the people. Where are we standing? Are we sitting? Are we slumping? Are we overboard? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful too, right? You're on a boat and <laughs> the, the boat is flipped over and everyone's overboard. You're just like going on and sailing and, and then you look back and you say, oh, wait, where is everybody? Well, that's where we've come to right now. That's where we're at right now in the church. We're at a place where we haven't looked back enough to see and gauge where the people are. We're consumed by this beautiful service that we do instead of asking the people, hey, are you getting it? Are you part of it? And I'll tell you, for the 15 years that we did that, where people were engaged, it was something that was memorable to this day. I had a chance to celebrate the Divine Liturgy there last month on a couple of occasions at the St. Peter Youth Ministry Center. I was very, very pleased. In fact, it was it was just beautiful to see that that tradition has continued over there. And no, there are no choir robes, but there are people who sing the Divine Liturgy and participate. And that participation is what it's all about. Here's Susie to talk about how you can participate in this ministry. I'll be back with some parting shots today. Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. 
All right. Thank you, Susie, for that announcement. Thank you, all of you, for all your prayers and love and support for this ministry. Please make sure you have marked on your calendar. We are launching the new epostle.net. And here's a little tidbit for you. We are on the socials, and I need you to get on the socials because we have launched a new epostle.net. Yeah, I know we had the Facebook page. Right now, there is a new presence on Facebook. There's not too many posts on it. We need you to sign up and become, what is it, a friend or follow it. Whatever you need to do on Facebook. Same thing on Instagram and uh, Twitter's coming out. So we have September 25th, exactly a month from today as I'm speaking, that we're going to be launching this. And we are really going head over heels on putting this together. You can't imagine the amount of work that we're involved in just to put it together. And I'm very pleased to tell you that what you're going to see on September 25th, when we launch the new Apostle site and the new program is going to be something that you will be very proud of, you will be connected to, and it will basically be your one-stop shop where you can get connected to everything Armadoxy, you could get connected to to the apostle. That's apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe, okay? That's how simple it is. September 25th. Meanwhile, we're still at the mothershipinissues.org and that will continue, but our podcast will be moved over to the apostle site uh, beginning September 25th. But uh, in his shoes will still be the active ministry doing the work, doing the work on the ground of feeding and and helping those in need. So the In His Shoes ministry continues as it is. Apostle becomes the voice of this ministry. And I'm inviting you to get involved any way you can. We're on the socials and, of course, like I said, at the Mothership In His Shoes. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get more active, drop me a note. You can do so at feedback at epostle.net. That's Apostle with an E. Apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe. Well, that does it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I hope you're sitting straight with your posture up and alert. And I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, on behalf of our producer Susie and myself, Father Voskin, we look forward to seeing you on the net and seeing you again next week when we will take the next step. Stand by for disclaimer. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. The management and production crew Vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. Vpostle.net. Apostolic evangelism, electronic, and expanding universe. I forgot to ask you if uh, you, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, bye.